Hey guys, welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarchuk. Hope you guys are having an amazing day. Today's episode is actually just me and Peter. Surprise, surprise, because we've been having guests on. So back like like in the back in the day. So those that are new to the yeah, we need, we needed some alone time. Just don't flirt me on the, don't flirt on the show with me, okay? Since there's no guest. I mean, that long hair, man. Whew. From the back, you look pretty good, man. Not gonna lie. Thanks, brother. So, anyways, um, those that are new, thank you for coming to the show. Like, subscribe, guys. You have no idea how much it means to us when you smash that five star button. We get ranked in search results. A lot more people find us, and the algorithm picks up on us, which means we'll organically skyrocket a little bit higher, and that'll motivate me and Peter to keep creating high quality content. So, don't forget, smash like, share. How you doing today, PD? I'm doing great. I'm excited. Episode 59. Today, we're going to talk about the effects of alcohol. Our goal is to drink about three to six beers, see how we feel, and see how physically and mentally alcohol affects us from the mental state, physical state, neurological state, and just throughout our body. So we'll see where this takes us. We'll try to um, remain calm and um, have good etiquette. But, you know, three to six beers deep, I don't have a very high tolerance. I'm not a big drinker. Matt's not a big drinker, so we'll see. We'll see what happens here, guys. Hopefully, no close comes off, right? That's what I'm striving no. for. They're but Patreon. Better. Exactly. I'm Patreon after the after show called That Lot. We might just, you know, be shirtless and just drink more beer, huh? <laughs> but anyways, it's it's interesting because I haven't personally drank alcohol in a very long time. Like before the show, we drank one beer just to get uh, ahead of ourselves here. And Peter has a breathalyzer, and he just blew point zero two. So every single beer that Peter drinks, we will breathalyze him to see how his alcohol, blood alcohol level is increasing. And we're also going to talk about like the side effects of each blood alcohol level and what he might be experiencing. And he'll tell us what he's experiencing. Yeah. So I drank a beer probably about 10 minutes ago. You know, if you don't mind, I'm going to breathalyze myself again, just to see where I'm at. You could, you could drink a little bit of beer. How about I breathalyze myself, then I'll chug a beer. You can tell everyone what's going on. Of course. So I want to start with like a fun fact, guys. We're talking about alcohol and there's this myth that supposedly, you know, mammals could get drunk easily, that el- elephants cannot get drunk. And it's funny because armadillos and m- mammals like elephants actually could get drunk easily. And there's a difference in the gene that breaks on alcohol. And the gene is called 88.7 gene, which in history, the mammals have adapted and has continued with evolution to change so not everybody has this gene some of the some people have a dysfunction in the gene and therefore it's harder to break down the component ethanol which is what alcohol is and the liver breaks down ethanol to kind of give you a little summary of what it is it's a member of the alcohol dehydrogenous family i don't even know how to pronounce that you guys could check that out in the show notes but it's it breaks down ethanol rethanol and other um, alcohols and those products Really interesting. So what happens is elephants actually feast on large amounts of fruits. They're called marula fruits, and they're a relative to the mangoes. So if they ingest a high amount of these fruits, they actually get freaking a little bit tipsy. And it's funny because there are stories on the internet that like elephants like raid little villages and they just pass out drunk and stuff like that, like in China and Africa. So what'd you I blow, wonder, Peter? I blew another, I'll show you guys, blew another point oh two. So 10 minutes, one beer, 0.02. Um, what's the legal limit again? Like 0.05 or 0.08 something? 0.08 to 0.08. drive. 0.08. Oh, so I'm, I'm still good, good to go. I'm still, if Matt needs to get picked up, I got you guys. If 
kids need to go to school, I can drop them off. But I mean, I need kids, <laughs> and I try to drop them off after a beer. But I wonder how. I wonder if, if elephants have the brain capacity to kind of understand that hey, these fruits or these vegetables or this type of food makes me drunk. And I wonder if they usually use it as like the same way we use alcohol for like partying. I'm sure they have some liquid courage when they know they get this stuff. Like it feels good. Like I'm sure there's mammals that like, you know, consume specific plants and they, they have like a side effect from it. Yeah. I'm sure they have a side effect, but do they have the like brain capacity to notice that if they keep eating this, they will feel these things each time they eat this much of it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I could honestly ask Google right now because I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe we should, huh? And I was going to say, maybe if I had a, an elephant, I'd, I'd have, um, eat a bunch of fermented fruit, but yeah, it's pretty interesting, but yeah. So elephants can actually get drunk off this. Is it just elephants or is it uh, different mammals? Do you know? Well, it's the mammals that consume fruits and when it gets broken down into ethanol. So there's mammals that all have this gene, but a lot of these mammals could have a dysfunction in the 887 gene, which causes this um, ability to not um, break down alcohol as efficiently. So scientists thought that Mammals can't get drunk like elephants because they're so huge, but actually they could because their bodies don't have the ability to break it down as well. Interesting. All right, so we're one beer in. You want to chug a beer while I introduce this, this part of the episode? Sure. I'm already halfway in, brother. By the way, what's your favorite kind of beer? What beer do you like? Beer choice. So right now on the show, well, can I, well this is going on YouTube, so I might, we might get in trouble if we like post the beer. Just actually, real quick. Who You'll be fine. Just say, say real quick. Like, yep. Like on me. So this is a Stella. So that's what I'm consuming. I was actually in the, so today I bought the alcohol. I was like, shit, should I get a Stella? Should I get Modelo? And it was between that or Heineken. And then it was like Lagunitas, which I like IPA. But if, if I drank four beers within like 45 minutes, I don't think I'd walk out of here. I'd probably crawl out of my chair. So I stuck with Respect. Stella just for the sake of, you know, having some control, self-control for myself. Yeah, I like it. You want to chug it? You want to chug it for us? I mean, you want to let's get do it. it, do it. All right, guys. So me, my personal preference on beer, I like dark beers. I'm a big Guinness guy. I used to not like Guinness in high school, in college. I was never really into Guinness. As a matter of fact, I actually hated it. I hated stouts. But as I grew older and I grew wiser, I decided to acquire the taste for a nice stout. And Guinness is my go-to beer. You know, people, a lot of people don't like Guinness because it's very filling and very, very rich. But I don't know, man. Like, I like the taste of coffee. Beer reminds me, that kind of beer reminds me of coffee. And I just, I just enjoy it. Do you have any, like, funny drunk stories to share? Because, I mean, to be honest, guys, me and Peter have known each other since the third grade or whatever. We, we've been drinking buddies for quite some time. And we have some funny-ass stories, which are probably not even, like, PG-13 here to share. Do you have anything that you can just think of the top of your head that's really funny to share that's appropriate? I remember that time when we were super young, back when I used to uh, live here in Chicago when I was a little shorty. And I remember we had those little um, alcohol things that you get yes. from like weddings or, or whatever, like little samples. We had like six of them and uh, we were drinking it in my garage. It was me, you, and our buddy Rob. Do you, somebody was hitting me with a freaking belt. That's all I remember. It was one of your mother efforts, man. I don't know, man, but we were like, we were still pretty young, dude. We were super young. We were even teenagers at that point. No, to be honest, we were like in seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. That's not cool. No, I wasn't eighth grade because I was in Lockport back in back in eighth grade. So this was probably like fifth or sixth, dude. This is probably <laughs> fifth grade. Might as well tell people. 
And those um, little things, those little things hit us. Our poor little bodies, our poor little livers got like a liver shock when we got, well, I'm, I'm, we were for sure drunk at that age, like for sure. It's funny because my dad is such an MVP, man. One time I was in high school and I like, I drank the night before and I threw up and I missed school. And I told him I ate a bad piece of ham. My stomach was hurting and I threw up. And, you know, he, he's calling me over the phone and he's speaking in Polish. I wish I could say it, but people will know. He's like, Matt, just tell me the truth. Did you drink? Did you get fucked up last night? And I'm like, yeah, dad. He's like, oh, it's okay. I won't tell mom. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. That's how, you know, we kind of grew tighter together. He respected because my dad back in the day, like he said, one, one time he was hungover and, you know, my dad's from Poland. So he had farmland. He told me once that he got so hungover, he didn't want to work on the fields. So he, he like unscrewed something from a tractor. So it doesn't work. And he put the grease on all over his face. So it looks like he was working hard on the tractor and was sleeping on the land. <laughs> so, and then, you know, oh, my grandpa came and he's like, oh, shit, I was fixing the tractor. So he, he was that mother effort too, you know? Yeah. Down as fuck, okay. dude. He, yeah. So let, let's Probably continue with the alcohol. Mm. Did you already drink your Stella? Did you chug it? Yeah, I'm already on my third beer technically. My third beer. All right. Well, then I got to catch up, dude. Don't mind me if I drink this Guinness. Oh, my goodness. So, so alcohol has widespreads of um, effects on us, right? Little tidbit, alcohol is clear liquid at room temperature. It's less dense and it evaporates at lower temperatures than water. And this is why it's distilled. If you want to look at the chemistry um, breakdown of ethanol, which is alcohol, it's, it's C2H6O2. Really interesting breakdown. It, it metabolizes differently in men and women. So... We're only comparing the side effects of alcohol on Peter, which is a male, but women might get um, drunk faster. But I've seen women that can handle their liquor very well. So this is honestly per person, I would say. And alcohol cannot dissolve in fat. So that's why it's funny how people say, oh, hey, you know, drink or when you're hungover, eat like fatty things. Like I feel like that, oh, we should have went over myths, which is funny, but we could talk about kind of things like that. People have like a very fatty breakfast and they think they'll cure their hangover and it's interesting because alcohol just gets absorbed and it takes longer actually to get broken down so i wonder if if you are actually hungover longer because of that but i don't know that so when alcohol is broken down it's broken down 20 percent in the stomach and 80 percent in the small intestines and as you know that's where most of the food is broken down and what else do you want to say peter i'm going to chug a beer myself now well you damn you number four for you this would be number three. So number maybe I should three. slow down because there's no such nah. thing as slowing down. Okay. Are you scared, dude? Go ahead. Try that beer. I got you guys. I'll go a little bit of a process here. Some, you know, some terminology, some explanations. So after absorption, alcohol enters our bloodstream. It dissolves in the plasma, gets carried throughout the body. That's why it's a widespread effect. It doesn't just affect your brain or your motor function or your heart. It affects everything. So the alcohol from the blood enters and dissolves in your tissues. Once inside your tissues, alcohol exerts its effects on our body. The effects depend on your blood alcohol level. So your, your blood alcohol concentration, your BAC, that's what your breathalyzer basically shows. So a person's BAC can rise significantly within 20 minutes after a drink. So it takes about 20 minutes for your alcohol to, to kind of get processed and for you to feel the effects. And the main reason why, because Mash touched upon this, why the main reason why women get affected harder and longer is because they tend to have less muscle mass than men. Longer and, and harder, harder, huh? 
Vivek, longer and harder. I'm, I'm joking. This is all called talking liquid courage. Anyways, continue. <laughs> longer and harder. Nothing wrong with longer and harder. But the reason why it hits women longer and harder is because they tend to have less muscle mass, which causes the longer and harder effects of, of alcohol compared to men where we tend to have um, you know, more muscles for the most part. And if you, look at, if you look at the three ways that alcohol gets excreted, it's really interesting because we have 5% in the kidneys, 5% in the lungs. So yes, you actually breathe out and your body detoxifies this through the lungs and 90% through the liver. So that's why you know that the liver is that freaking mega organ that could take, it's basically the dumpster of our human body. Like the, the liver could take so much shit. And that's why people with like liver cirrhosis, like, they don't understand that like they were drinking for 30 years of their life. They were fine. And all of a sudden, boom, liver scars and you're down the gutter and you can't reverse that because the liver is such a trash can. It could handle so much. But once it's done, that's it. For the most part, it, re it regenerates. I th is it the liver that if you take a piece out of it, it could regrow or is it the yes. pancreas? It's the liver. But you, you have to listen to your doctor when he says, hey, you got to stop drinking type of thing, you know? And there's different stages that this actually happens. Like you don't just get cirrhosis right away. You usually get a fatty liver and that could be diagnosed through an ultrasound. And then you go, you have, uh, I think, cirrhotic, cirrhosis. Like mm -hmm. there's a stage in between that where you start having small scars and then the liver is completely scarred where it's not even producing what it has to like clotting factors, protein and et cetera. Last thing, the average person eliminates about 0.5 ounces per hour. So if you have a shot of tequila at one ounce, it's going to take about two hours to completely get rid of the body. This beer, Guinness, has 11.2 ounces. So, yeah, it's going to be a while before this gets eliminated completely. But this I've, is all just of pure alcohol. Okay, well, this, I'm not sure how much pure alcohol this has. I think it's like 5% alcohol, I want to say. I don't know how much percent Guinness has. So, Peter, I want you to drink that. Is it the third beer now? This, yes, the third beer. So, drink your third beer now. I'm curious what's your blood alcohol level because. Are you on your third beer? Yes, I am. You drank three already? No, I'm on my third one. I'll finish it because if you okay. think about it, if it takes 10 minutes to kick in, we should definitely chug earlier in the show just so people, you know, we could feel what's going on. I will. But let me first explain before I keep chugging this how alcohol gets broken down in the liver. So if you don't take, mind finishing away, Peter. Your, so if you don't mind finishing your third beer while well, I do this explanation, you know, that'll be make me a happy camper. <laughs> All right, guys. So for all you, you know, for all you nerds out there are just curious. So how does alcohol get broken down in the liver? Well, we have an enzyme in the liver called alcohol dehydrogenase, dehydrogenase, which actually strips an electron from ethanol and it turns it into acetaldehyde. And then another enzyme in the liver called aldehyde dehydrogenase converts acetaldehyde in, with oxygen into acetic acid and then from acetic acid with the help of fat uh, with the help of fatty acids so your triglycerides it gets broken down into carbon dioxide and water so basically your liver breaks down alcohol into co2 and water which is pretty interesting i did not know that until i looked it up it's pretty crazy and that's why you know when you say when you're talking about the lungs you breathe it out because you breathe out co2 you breathe out co2 but you also you know excrete it in, in other ways but Lungs definitely help with that a little bit, but I actually had no idea what alcohol gets broken down into. I knew that the liver breaks down alcohol and you, and you pee it out with, with your kidneys, but chemical, from a chemical standpoint, I did not know that CO2 and water are converted from alcohol. 
and Matt's taking his sweet ass time with that beer. Man, I remember when I was a little girl drinking my first beer. Yeah, Peter, Peter, I think your alcohol blood level is between 0.03 to 0.012. Why? Because you're experiencing a state of euphoria. See, euphoria, I'm always in euphoria, man. I'm always feeling good until my back hurts and I don't feel good anymore. <laughs> so that, that first stage of um, blood alcohol level, 0.03 to 0.012 is, drink your beer, PD, is euphoria. So you might feel more self-confident. You might feel a bit more daring. Your attention span might shorten. You might be a little bit more flushed. And that's what I have. My cheeks get very rose, a little bit rosy. Your judgment might not be as more sharp and you might be that's more when impulsive. You, this is when you hit up all your DMs. Definitely, PD. Definitely. And when you, it's funny because yes, that definitely happens at first when you have a few drinks, when you pregame and you go, you're going out to the city and I'm using examples of like me personally, where we're going out, like in summer, let's just say when you have a few beers, you do have that liquid courage. Like you're impulsive. You're like, you know, as a male, you're kind of pushing around with your boys. You're kind of, kind of hitting each other, just messing around. It's, and you know, the, the beginning stages is okay. So you're, you're borderline between you shouldn't be driving. You shouldn't be driving at all. To be honest, guys, like when our groups of friends go out, we just do Uber. That's it. It's, it costs a little bit more. Sometimes it costs 50 to 60 bucks to go back and forth to the city in Chicago. But you got to do what you got to do. You got to stay safe. It's better than paying 5K for a DUI. Oh, yeah. Fuck that. And then you, you don't want that on your record. Imagine you're being a nurse with a DUI. If, if you're in nursing school and you get a DUI, you're, you're considered a felon. I don't think you could sit for the NFLX at that point because they get a background check, they do fingerprints. That's not a good thing to have, but I'm going to blow now. Go ahead and blow. Definitely, because every single hospital you work at, travel agency, anything you do, anything you're applying to a license of a registered nurse, LPN, like they ask you, have you, have you ever been a felon? Have you ever been conflicted or convicted? Convicted. My, shirt, my words are going to start slurring because- I'm always conflicted. You're always conflicted. I feel very slurry right now. If you were to tell me, I feel very loose. I could honestly like just, I feel really good. I feel bloated. And I also feel like my words are going to start slurring. So if the show gets worse as we start talking, guys, forgive us. We're, you know, experimenting. What'd you blow? All right. So I went from one beer being at 0.02. And right now I am at 0.126 to be exact. So I am, what stage am I in right now? So you're in excitement space, which we're going to touch upon next. So let me, let me talk about what Peter's actually experiencing. So in this blood alcohol level, 0.09 to 0.015, um, you could become sleepy. You might have trouble. You might have trouble under, you might have a trouble understanding things or recent events. You might not react to the situation as quickly. You might be uncoordinated. You must lose your balance. Your vision might be blurry. And you might have trouble sensing, hearing, tasting, and feeling. How are you feeling? I mean, I feel good. Um, I feel like my eyes are low. And um, to be honest, I don't feel sober. Like, I'm not, like, hammered. But, you know, this is definitely, like, if I move like this, it's a little. It, you guys can't see, but I'm turning my head left, left and right. A little, it's a little slowed. A little slowed. My motor co- coordination. Um, I could probably pass. Um, an alcohol test, if, you, if I was uh, pulled over right now, I could probably pull it off. Um, because the legal limit is what? You said a 0.08? 0.08. So you're past that 0.08. limit, dude. You're going to get a DUI. Yeah, I'll get a DUI at this point. 
but I don't feel like I could, I should get a DUI, you know, maybe I should raise that up to like 0.12, but whatever. I think that's what every single person that drinks behind the car says. Like I shouldn't get a DUI. And then they're, they're then doing the test and they're kind of, you know, squiggling around the line. What's actually interesting guys, fun fact, cause I was set up to a wedding and I was, my cousin's a cop and all this stuff. The way people could tell if you're actually drunk, I think something happens in the nervous system and we'll cover the nervous system in a second is you kind of take your finger and you tell the person to follow the finger and the opposite eye starts flickering and twitching when they're looking at the finger. You can't tell yourself, but if someone's doing the test on you, you can tell when, you know, their nervous system is affected. Do it on I'm me. not, not going to do it on the cam. It's just not the same as in person. Why? How do you know? Don't ask questions. Let's continue. No, let's so, <laughs> so, Damn, dude. All right. Sorry, man. See, I'm bold. I'm acting a little bit too bold for this show, huh, PD? I should give you a breathalyzer. You'll be at the confusion phase. Point, one, at the con- point three. Cover that for me, please. So, guys, point one eight to point three. I am not there yet, and hopefully, I don't think I'll reach that level right now with only four beers. I feel like I'm um, a little bit um, more experienced in drinking than four beers. So I finished three beers. Should I open up a fourth one? Open up a fourth one, dude. I grab one from the fridge just in case. No, man. I'm not doing five, man. I'm good Why? at four. You scared? Because it's only, we're recording and it's five o'clock. I have like half a day ahead of me and I'm going to just be drunk. Half a day. This is half a day to you? What time do you plan on staying up till? Three o'clock in the morning? Open a beer. All right. So guys, so a blood alcohol concentration of 0.18 to point. Three percent. So this is considered a confusion phase. So you're likely going to be confused. You may not know where you are. You may not know what you're doing. Maybe dizzy. You might have staggered feet. You might have trouble walking. You might feel highly emotional. A lot of criers out there. You might feel aggressive. That's that's when elbows start to fly. I'm sure Matt has experienced that a few times. He got a few jaw shots here and there. You may not be able to see clearly, maybe sleepy, slurred speech, like I said before, uncoordinated movements, and you might not feel pain as much as a sober person might feel. So if you're at between 0.18 and 0.3, you get a nice jaw shot and you probably won't even feel. You'll probably be hurt the next day, but at that point in time, this is like the Superman face. You might just feel like you could take on any kind of pain, which is not a good idea. Do you remember that time at LA Social when... Um, I don't want to talk about what happened, but long story short is I got freaking, I got, you know, um, sucker punched in the eye and I actually broke, um, he, he, um, lacerated my, um, eyebrow mm-hmm. and I was, and for some reason, none of my friends were around in the basement where the club was happening. And I was the one that was bleeding out of my eye or out of my eyebrow. And I was the one that was getting escorted by cops or by, um, security officers, excuse me. Oh, man, what a freaking story. I, I wish you guys had my back there, man, but that's okay. Yeah, at that point in time, I was outside smoking, which is not healthy. But, <laughs> you know, I, I can't, you know, that's, I was probably at a, probably at a point three, I would say. So that's when, you know, you're not really sure what you're doing. So, you know, that's why I was smoking because I wasn't sure what I was doing. If I was sober, I wouldn't be smoking. Yeah, that's so what happens. Let's, let's cover the last two so we can go into like the, the body, the organs mm-hmm. and what they do because- I feel like the more we drink, we're going to start forgetting what to say. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. It's kind of funny because this is such an experiment. We're recording live. We're drinking beer. And my mind is having an effect. Alcohol is having an effect yes. on me. You should That's- chug that fourth beer while I go over the last two things. Gucci. Great. Go ahead. Respect. 
All right, guys, the next stage is stupor, and that's anywhere between 0.25 and 0.4. So stupor. You might be barely able to move at all, not be able to respond to stimuli. You might not be able to stand or walk. This is when you start vomiting, man. And I've had my fair share of vomiting moments. Last year, my birthday. Man, I don't even want to. I don't even look at the images anymore. You might have a lapse in and out of consciousness. So you, this is where your blackout phase. You might not remember parts of your, of your night. You're not, not going to remember what, what happened. Their Uber dropped you off, and you don't even know how you got home. And a final stage, the most dangerous phase is coma. That is your blood alcohol concentration between 0.35 and 0.5%. So damn, 0.5%. Half of that is alcohol. So you, at this point, you are unconscious. Your reflexes are completely depressed. Your skin is cold to the touch. Breathing is slow and shallow. Your heart rate is slowed and your life literally is in danger. So you basically have respiratory and a cardiac depression. Mental depression, your whole system is, is depressed. And the last phase is death. That is roughly about 0.5 or greater. And this is when you stop breathing. Because remember guys, alcohol is a depressant. Even though you might feel like you're life of the party, it still depresses your motor and sensory functions. That is why you feel so good on it is because you don't feel all that stimulation. And that is why it's so dangerous because as a depressant, it depresses your respiratory system. It depresses your heart rate. And this is when you actually die. And Matt, once again, is still drinking that beer because he takes his sweet time. And I'm Peter, come over. do you want a nipple on that? Peter, I'm, I'm drunk right now. Good. I'm, t- I'm tipsy as hell. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. So let's continue. Jeez, drinking, chugging four beers in less than 45 minutes. It's a mission. And I haven't drank beer or I haven't, I haven't got drunk, honestly, since New Year's in Chicago. So it's been five months. Let me actually um, burp really quick. You know, if you think about it, five months seems like a, like a long time, but it's really not. Like we're 25 years old. Five months is actually not not that long. <laughs> I'm, I'm 26, brother, but it's okay. Oh, oh, yeah. You're 26, dog. You're old, dude. That's old. Wow. All the cougars out there. My, my, <laughs> my, geez, my you're crack- I cannot. Cont- How am I supposed to talk to the people that are listening when you're cracking me up? But it's okay, Peter. I think everybody acknowledges your, your sense of humor. You're a funny person, bro. So anyways, I- make sure you drink your fourth beer. So I want to talk about the long-term effects of alcohol before we um, dive into what happens to alcohol or what happens on, what, what are the effects of alcohol from every single organ, the liver, the super cortex, the brain, blah, blah, blah. So one thing is unintentional injury, guys. Crash, drink this? fall, burn, drowning, drink you your drink beer. This? All of it? However you feel, yes, because we want to know your alcohol level. Oh, yeah, right, damn. Respect, okay. So drink that. Um, increased job injuries. If you drink at work, I took care of a guy at uh, Kaiser that w- worked at Trader Joe's and he came in for withdrawals and it was just a mess. That was my first patient I had on violent restraints. And it was crazy because we couldn't sedate him. We had to intubate him just to freaking calm his ass down because we couldn't do anything with this guy. Um, alcohol poisoning, you might have increased family problems, relationships. Uh, there's a lot of divorces that happen because of alcohol. It's a real thing. Um, especially, you know, being Polish and 
drinking and Polish people are freaking so interconnected for some reason. Um, and it's just sad. High blood pressure, strokes, liver disease. You might have sexual d- dysfunction, aka you can't. You have a whiskey dick, <laughs> which means you can't get your dick up because yeah, you drank way too much alcohol. This is for the men. You have an increase in desire, but performance on the window goes on the window. Um, permanent brain damage because you're technically lacking oxygen to the brain. That's why you black out. Vitamin B1 deficiency, ulcers, gastritis, malnutrition cancer, mouth and throat, not to mention uh, pancreatitis and liver cirrhosis. So alcohol is a freaking, it's a shitty drug. You are honestly better off not drinking or in moderation, of course. Yeah, of course. The only reason we're drinking right now is in the name of science. If we weren't drinking (laughs) in the name of science, I wouldn't be drinking. This would be water. And I broke my fast for you guys. It's Ramadan. But for the name of science, I broke my fast so I could enjoy these delicious, delicious, delicious stouts. So I don't want to hear anything that, you know, Peter doesn't do anything for anybody. I'm, I broke my fast for the name of science, guys. I'm about to breathalyze myself right now. Breathalyze yourself. So Peter is doing Ramadan. I have no idea why he's actually doing it. I think he's doing it just because he wants to experience how it is and I actually give him a lot of respect because I wouldn't be able to not drink water or anything throughout the whole day. So that's a lot, a lot of respect to you, PD. I am, we should do a podcast episode to see how you feel after trying Ramadan for 30 days. So while I'm doing Ramadan is like, it's basically the same reason why people that are Muslim do Ramadan, Ramadan. It's being able to experience how it feels to be basically poor and not being able to eat or drink throughout the day. That's basically why I'm doing it. It's the reason, you know. Hey, man, I seriously respect you for that. Like, I'm looking at my eyes in the camera. I'm like, Matt, you're freaking, your eyes are glittery. And they definitely are. But I respect that, man. There's a lot of humility involved in that. And I feel like I would love to try that one day. Now I do intermittent fasting. But in the future, I will try Ramadan. So while Peter's getting breathalyzed, let's talk about what happens with alcohol on a level that affects the organs. So let's start with the cerebral cortex. And the cerebral cortex was just responsible for thinking, processing information, and the five senses. And as you know, the five senses do get affected, right? What'd you blow? I'm still waiting. Okay. Oh. So um, this depresses- I think this is correct. I'm gonna do it again. Cause it says saying 0.07. I was 0.12 before. Maybe I was okay. really efficient at- um... I mean, it's 60 bucks at Best Buy, right? So you never know, might be some errors. So the person might become talkative, self-confident. Sometimes you can become less social. You might be slow at processing information. So I might be staring at somebody like, what the heck is going on? Um, The person has trouble seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. And the threshold for pain is raised. So that's why if you're drunk, you could get into a fight. You might not feel shit. The next day, you feel like you got freaking, you know, slammed by a concrete wall. And of course, when it comes to cerebral cortex, this alcohol inhibits our judgment, our thought process. So we might lack the, the ability to think clearly. And that's why we might be doing some dumb shit when we go out or whenever we drink alcohol. Yeah, dude, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I am definitely buzzed. And, um, yeah, it still says 0.07. So maybe the prior one was wrong, but can I operate a vehicle? 
probably can operate safely. Probably, I don't know. I could probably drive my. I could probably drive home if I had to. Not you don't want you don't want to tell people on the show, but you drove like this before and it was completely fine. I uh, I plead the fifth. Okay, for I sure. Say none. So let's go to the limbic system. Limbic system, I got you. But I think you you bought a six pack, right, Matt? I think you should I'm, grab another beer. I'm done here. Wow, wow! Not even for science. I did four beers for science, brother. Well, I'll probably grab one more. But before I go and grab one, the limbic system. So your limbic system is responsible for a memory and emotion. It is composed of the hippocampus and amygdala. So this gets affected. So when this gets affected, when your limbic system is affected by alcohol, this is when you get those exaggerated states of emotion. So that's when you get those criers, those super aggressive people. You might get some laughies, but usually it's between crying and, and aggression. Usually for men, it's more aggression. But some of, the, some of the boys, there's definitely crying moments. I feel like it depends on what kind of state, state of mind you're in. It depends on what you're going through life. That kind of is going to bring up the emotion. Right, Matthew? Because we had some friends that just cried on us. And there, there were times where I for sure have cried when I was slammed for no apparent reason. And I'm sure there's times where, Matt, you've cried for no apparent reason when you're slammed, right? I don't think, I don't know, man. I had some moments, I had some good bro to bro moments. And, mm -hmm. you know, I talked to my girlfriends about things, but that's, I don't, I don't know if I cried as, to be honest, man. I know you did some fucking goofy ass shit too, but. I probably did some goofy ass shit too. I always <laughs> do some goofy ass shit. Always something different. Let, let's, let's just, let's just pinpoint it at, call it goofy ass shit. And there, there's also the cerebellum, right? And that's responsible for the fine motor skills. And this is why when you are at DUI checkpoint, the police officer tells you to touch your nose and touch the finger, touch the nose, because that affects the fine motor skills and the alcohol affects the cerebellum. So muscle movements, they become uncoordinated. And this is one way the cop knows that you drank too much because your cerebellum is affected by alcohol. So interesting. Yeah. And you know how you pee a lot? There you go, Matthew. You could touch your nose. So I was actually touching my nose and then touching your nose on the screen to see how it's affected. I'm cute. just being a goofball, but continue. Cute. Yeah, so we've all heard the term breaking your seal, and that's when you kind of pee a lot. So that has to do with the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. The hypothalamus, it's more responsible for your sexual arousal, your sexual desire. Like Matt stated, your sexual arousal and your desire increase but unfortunately, the performance decreases. So when you're trying to, you know, do your thing, alcohol might not be the best option for you. But I'll touch you a little bit on the pituitary gland. That's the one that actually controls your antidiuretic hormone. And so basically, ADH is your antidiuretic hormone, which acts on the kidneys. So alcohol actually reduces the circulation of ADH, which then causes you to pee more because you have less anti-diuretic hormone so think of anti-diuretic hormone that's anti-diuretic hormone so anti-pee you have less of it so that means you're going to pee more if you have less of it this has to do with SADH we had a few episodes ago where we talked about SADH that also affects your your um your ADH but that's why you pee more guys because it affects your pituitary decreases your ADH which causes you to pee more and that's when you break your seal you just keep peeing and peeing and peeing so you gotta be careful 
a lot of people think that breaking this, once you break the seal, which, so for those that drink, people think that once you drink once or once you pee once, you're going to continue peeing. But it doesn't matter if you pee in an hour or 45 minutes or in three hours, you're going to break that seal no matter what. So just might as well go to the bathroom and just urinate because alcohol inhibits, just like you said, ADH. So right. it doesn't matter when you actually inhibit it. Exactly. So like when breaking the seal, that's more, that has more to do with like your bladder stretching. The more it stretches, the higher urge you have to pee. So in the beginning, you could have your bladder stretch pretty, pretty big. But as the more you drink, the less sense you get and the more stimulus it takes for you, you to kind of feel things. Once you pee, your bladder shrinks. You already and said that. What? <laughs> I'm cracking what? up because this is so funny. You already said the bladder shrinks. Yeah. I mean, that, so like I'm saying, you, when you have a full bladder and you pee, it shrinks. And then the thing is that you have less control over it. So it might stretch just a little bit, but you already have the urge to pee because you're consuming alcohol. So your, your body is less in control of things. So just because let's say your bladder stretches, it could stretch more when you're sober before you get the urge to pee compared to when you drink alcohol, it could stretch a little bit before you develop that urge. You know what I'm saying? Like it take, takes less while you're drinking to have the urge to pee than when you're sober because you, when you're sober, you're more in control of your senses and you're more in control of your body. Makes sense. I agree with you on that one. Respect. And when we talk about the organs, we cover the brain. And the brain is actually a big freaking organ. It takes up a lot of calories. It takes a lot of glucose. That's the main effect alcohol has. But also alcohol has effects on different parts of the body. Let's start with the heart. Drinking for a long time on numerous occasions actually damages the heart. And you can have issues like high blood pressure because your blood becomes viscous from dehydration, stroke, you can have arrhythmias from irregular heart rate, and you can have cardiomyopathy from the drooping of the heart muscle, basically. And there's something called, which I have never heard of this till I looked it up, it's called cirrhotic cardiomyopathy, which is like a light phase of cardiomyopathy, which is a dysfunction of the heart. And what happens is this the reason why people that drink alcohol, they have, um, they have very late cardiomyopathy, meaning they have heart failure at a very long um, state, is because there's also a very auto-regulating tr uh, treatment, meaning um, you drink alcohol and you actually vasodilate, so your left ventricle has a decrease in afterload, so it masks the severe, the severe symptoms of heart failure. Because this happens, it takes longer for people to find out they have problems with their hearts because of alcohol. And once you actually have problems with your heart and these people come into the hospital for liver cirrhosis and they're on pressors because they're septic, let me tell you guys, these people require a lot of inotropes because alcohol reduces the effects that the inotropes actually create, the stimuli. So they create a lot more pressors, they're a lot more sicker and they have a lot more complications and the possibility of them getting sick or making it out alive is slim, to be honest. Like the, I had, I had alcoholics that just died. Like I've had a lot of alcoholics that died, to be honest, but just looking at my four years of experience quite a bit, a lot of ETOH and we could touch about that, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. sad. 
Yeah, so like with vasodilation, dilation, think of that as like relaxation. I blew a 0.06, so I am. So my body processes alcohol, I, my first opinion, very well. Maybe because I'm a super healthy individual, but you know, whatever. You said you said 0.06. I'm sorry. Yeah, 0.06. So it's going down. Interesting. Which basically means you should get another beer, and I should get another, another beer. But when you think of dilation, think of relaxation. So when you're relaxed, you don't want to do a lot, right? So think of it when you're a heart and you're, you're relaxed, vasodilated. You don't want to really squeeze very hard. So you obviously cardiac output is going to decrease. That's why it takes more pressors to get your cardiac output to go higher because you're already at a, your heart's already at a relaxed state. You know, you don't have like, you don't have heart disease, but alcohol is like we said, a depressant, which relaxes your heart, which then causes you to decrease cardiac output because it's dilated. There's different types of heart failure, heart disease. And basically, like alcohol is counterintuitive. It's the exact opposite of a presser. Your presser constricts, it makes it work harder compared to alcohol, which is dilated, it relaxes your heart. That's why it takes a lot more effort, a lot more pressures for you to get your heart pumping. And imagine if you're an alcoholic, your heart is always at that relaxed state. And your heart's a muscle. So if it's not worked properly, it's going to deteriorate. Same with like, your, like, your, like biceps. Like if you do curls, you have nice big biceps. But if you stop using your bicep, if you stop lifting, what's going to happen? Muscles are going to shrink, right? So different types of heart failure. There's types of heart failure that cause your heart to get bigger. Your ventricles become atrophied. They, they, be, they, they, they grow. There's different variations of heart disease. But in this, in this sense, you don't really have heart disease. It's just you're an alcoholic. So if you, if you use eliminated alcohol, hopefully your heart can go back to normal because it can start working as, a, as, like, as intended, like as actual muscle. And I'm saying, well, it, yeah, definitely I agree. And hopefully it depends on what stage you are because let's just say people that take cocaine, they have cardiomyopathy as well. But what happens is they're, they have such high blood pressure where their heart becomes so loose that the muscle can't contract efficiently anymore. So you have a decrease of blood flow throughout the whole body and left ventricle. And sometimes that's not irreversible, right? So it just depends so on how well, cocaine's, that's Cocaine's a little different because it makes your heart work harder. So with alcohol, you have a, a big chamber, but not enough squeeze to push all that out because it's relaxed. With cocaine, you have a tight, big squeeze, but the chamber is shrunken because you have so much heart mass there. Yeah. And we're talking about the left ventricle, by the way, guys, for those that don't know what we're talking about. Continue. Well, yeah, but then the left, left ventricle causes the right ventricle to, to do different things as well. So if, if like, if your left ventricle is, is, is bigger than it's supposed to be, if you have left side, so the main cause of right-sided heart failure is left-sided heart failure. So eventually it's going to all go back into a circle. But like, like you said, so the main issue with alcoholism, it's the, it dilates. So it relaxes your heart to the point where it can't squeeze properly. Cocaine, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. Your heart muscle is, is big. It's so big that the chamber where the blood is, is supposed to be, it shrinks because there's so much muscle, not enough empty space. And you have a good squeeze, but there's not enough volume in there because it's so big. So you're, you are right now, correction. 
this is the alcohol taking effect. So with cocaine, as Peter said, the muscle basically have such high blood pressure from cocaine is the muscle. Basically, you have the aortic valve next to the left ventricle and the, the ventricle is like, shit, I need a lot more squeeze to get past that atrium to pump blood throughout the whole body. So what does it do? Just like a muscle, it grows, right? It grows bigger and bigger and bigger to freaking squeeze blood past that damn aortic, aortic valve to get through the whole body. And as you know, working out is cool because when you work out, your muscle grows and it gets bigger and you look good, right? You look sexy. You're feeling yourself. But when it comes to the heart, a bigger muscle is not necessarily a positive thing because there's less volume. So you're going to have less volume to distribute blood and oxygen throughout the whole entire body. And that's why these patients are on, you know, vasodilators, they're on metoprolol, things like that to help with the squeeze and help with, you know, the volume of blood. It's, it's exactly. crazy how that works, man. I love the human body, by the way. Respect. So let's talk about cirrhosis and let's talk about the liver now. As you know, 90% of alcohol gets metabolized in the liver. And this is where a lot of things could happen. Cirrhosis, fatty liver disease, alcoholic hepatitis, like there's so much things. And according to the American Liver Foundation, 10 to 20% of heavy drinkers will develop cirrhosis. Not much, but it happens. And liver cirrhosis is basically advanced form of liver disease. There is no coming back. It starts with a scar. And what happens is it starts, the liver starts losing its function to do things. It starts losing its ability to produce enough proteins. It starts losing abilities to create clotting factors, to filter toxins as, as the blood should. So these patients that come into the ICU is they, they come up with like giant stomachs where we have to do a spot. Um, is it called a paracentesis? Jeez, I'm yes. blanking out on the word. Yeah. Okay. They get a paracentesis where they get a giant needle into the peritoneal cavity to drain fluid. Why does this happen? Because liver creates clotting factors. It creates protein and things like that for are, geez, I'm a little bit tipsy. It's, now I don't know if I'm going to produce, say it right. But basically everything stays in, in the freaking uh, vasculature. and Things start to leak out because we don't have those proteins to keep it in. And what happens is fluid starts accumulating in the abdomen and we have to tap these people. And we sometimes drain like two liters plus of straight fluid because the liver is not producing the proper factors, protein factors. And... With these patients, sometimes they get a permanent drain. So they get a drain that's a catheter inserted into the peritoneal cavity. And they, they sometimes come in once a week and they get this fluid drained. or They drain it at home themselves. But this also leaves, they're prone to getting sepsis because they could get bacteria infections from not proper cleaning and just bacteria in general. You have an opening in your body. So that, you know, leaves your ability to come in for intruders. Peter's blowing right now, so we'll see what he blows. Alcoholism is honestly a very sad disease. If I were to say anything in a hospital aside from COVID now, being an alcoholic coming with liver disease is honestly the saddest thing. Especially, do you know the liver, liver disease patients when they're completely yellow, jaundice from liver disease, and they're scratching themselves because they're so itchy? Like I had a patient that was like just so itchy. Like I was scratching his back, scratching his whole body. It wasn't enough. Yeah. I forgot what the exact chemical is that gets released because of that. But it's all it, enzymes, dude. It's all like the it's enzymes. The enzymes. It's toxins, yes. you know, toxins. You want to get, get rid of it. And it's crazy because like at certain, 
in certain diseases, dilation is, 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 a, is a good thing for you to, to do. So certain heart, heart diseases, we want to dilate your veins. But with liver, you have so much toxins when, you're, when you consume a lot of alcohol, it causes stasis. You get venous stasis, you get arterial stasis because everything is so dilated, so everything just pulls. And that's where you get the buildup of toxin because your liver cannot catch up to the amount of toxins they are. They are uh, liver cannot, the liver cannot. <laughs> yeah, are you slurring your words, bro? No, the liver cannot um, keep up with all the toxins that it has to filter. Which then, if you have really bad cirrhosis, it's going to cause your pancreas to work harder. And, that, and as we all know, pancreas is not a filter. It helps with you know, insulin production and all the, the good things. But eventually, if you have so much inflammation where you have blood vessels that, that's, that swell, and it prevents your pancreas from working properly. And pancreas is important in, in digestion. It's important in, in nutrition. If you don't have a properly working pancreas, you cannot absorb certain nutrients properly. And that's where you have the deficiencies of vitamins, especially with alcoholics. Yeah, and let's not forget that with the pancreas, what alcohol does is the liver actually, the pancreas produces chemicals to break down fat. And if alcohol stops from those enzymes reaching the small intestines, and in, instead those enzymes get broken up in the actual pancreas. So the liver I'm sorry, the pancreas in a way is eating itself because it's, redu it's releasing those chemicals in the damn freaking pancreas. And that's so painful for patients. Like those patients that come to the hospital for pancreatitis, they're getting dilated. They're getting hydromorphine like around the clock to help with their, with their symptoms. And they're usually still in damn pain. Like it's freaking, it's a nasty disease. Same thing with the cancer. Like there's a high mortality rate and all that. So you guys can understand the end stage with like alcoholism is, is blood pools. That's why you get the ascites. That's why you have all these enzymes released because your blood is pooling and stagnant in, in one area. So your liver is going to produce more enzymes. Your pancreas is going to produce more enzymes. And your body does not know how to respond to these enzymes because there, there's more than, than it needs. But it has to release these because you have all this alcohol in your system where it's got to be filtered. Then your kidneys, kidneys get shot because is excreting so much that at one point you're creating so much. And if you keep drinking and drinking, you're not going to get a proper kidney, kidney perfusion. So not only are you getting all these toxins throughout your body, you're also not getting, getting good perfusion because it dilates because it decreases your, your blood pressure. With decreased blood pressure, it might seem like a good idea for certain people, but if you have a map lower than 65, lower than 60, your kidneys are not getting perfused enough. So what's that, what's going to happen? You're going to have kidney failure. It's crazy how alcohol works on the body because it literally affects everything. And if you keep drinking, you keep drinking, it's going to affect everything more and more. Not only like your, your, your neurological state gets affected first, but you got to understand that after, after that, an alcoholic is going to have a giant impact on his liver, his pancreas, and then his kidneys and then his heart. It all works simultaneously. Just because you get the neurological effects doesn't mean it only works on your brain. It's literally system-wide. What, what also starts getting sad is like seeing these patients in the hospital taking care of them with like alcohol detox, alcohol withdrawals. Like people don't realize, the people that don't work in a hospital, like you have no idea what the heck ETOH withdrawals are, which is AKA alcohol withdrawals. Like that, when, when you're starting your shift and you have a patient that's ETOH withdrawing, 
you know it's going to be a shitty shift because this patient is freaking miserable like it's alcohol is a drug like let's just let's just state that as a fact like it's shitty withdrawals like it's worse than fucking drugs man and these people are having a bad time they're they're violent we have to restrain them they're impulsive they get seizures sometimes like they're manipulate they manipulate nurses like i got punched in the freaking stomach before from these patients like it's not a fun time and usually they're completely delusional, alert and oriented times one. And you have to tell them where they are every single time. They're trying to get out of bed. Freaking Sally's trying to go take out the trash. She thinks she's at home, but she's really in the hospital. Like, it's, it's so sad seeing patients withdraw from alcohol. It is. And as nurses, we have the, the benefit and kind of the negative of seeing people withdraw. Because if that person was at home, there's no way you could go through withdrawal at home. No way. If you're an alcoholic and you're going through withdrawal, you are going to get that next drink because withdrawal is, is intense and it's scary. That's why if you're dealing with an alcoholic, you can't have them stay at home. You got to take them to a facility or a place where they can withdraw. Because imagine the stuff you see in a hospital, how a person withdraws from alcohol. Imagine doing that at home alone. It's impossible. You can't withdraw at home alone. No way because the withdrawal symptoms are so harsh where it's going to – it's easier to take that next drink than go through withdrawal symptoms. That's why it's very important to take somebody to these, these um, shelters or these facilities where they do withdraw. Because if someone is trying to stop drinking, it's 20 times harder to stop drinking at home alone compared to going to a hospital or going to like a place where you can withdraw with somebody's help. Because there's, there's no way. Like if, even if I put myself in their shoes, like looking at the CWA scale, looking at how much Ativan I've pushed bef before for a patient with CWA, like they have two options. Either they withdraw on the CWA scale with me pushing Ativan and I keep pushing up until the withdrawal symptoms go away. Or two, they stay at home and withdraw alone. If I was to withdraw from alcohol alone at home, there was no way I could do it. I don't think I'd be able to do it. Like, you know how much mental strength that takes to go through all those physical and mental symptoms? to get off alcohol, like it's almost impossible. That's why we literally have a medication and a scale devoted to people that have alcohol withdrawal because it's that harsh. Definitely, man. And it's so sad also like giving patient education to these people because let's just say before COVID, right? Back in the days, let's, let's call it that. Like usually the family member came with the person that was withdrawing and they loved them and the person that's withdrawing heard it many times, stop alcohol, stop alcohol. But I'm still giving patient education. You know, I'm still telling them this shit's going to kill you. This shit's bad for you. And it's so sad hearing, seeing these patients come back in the hospital for the same damn reason. Like we, they're called frequent flyers for a reason. You know, they come in so often and it's just sad, man. Like, and the, a lot of people, a lot of what a lot of people don't understand is that these alcoholics actually the patient the family is suffering more than anything else and this is why the relationships get broken up you know like i've had my share of dealing with alcohol situations and you know with family and stuff and it's honestly a drug that separates people it really does man it's a freaking evil thing alcohol moderation is okay but excessively making a habit getting addicting is it is evil man I recommend people smoking weed instead than damn freaking drinking alcohol because it's so bad. 
and there's no withdrawals from marijuana. Like people from from alcohol literally die and get seizures. Like that's how bad. That's what kind of effect the brain has from not having and being dependent on the damn drug. I don't know how else to say it. Neither, but I think it's a good way to end it right there, boys. So guys, what about girls and girls, male, female? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you, know, you consider you know, your sexuality or whatever. Our audience is like 60 plus women. So you better watch what you say, Peter. Respect, respect. I respect women. But four beers in, guys, I'm at 0.06. So slowly going down. So, so yeah. I don't, know how, I don't know how accurate that is because technically on four beers, you are still able to drive on a yeah. legal alcohol limit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good to know. Maybe I'm just very efficient processing alcohol. I mean, I'm a very, very healthy individual, I think. You know, question because I'm about to break my damn seal. I got to pee so damn bad after this. Mm. How are you feeling when it comes to your bladder? Uh, my bladder's fine because I, I pee before I came on. So I, I'm okay for the most part, but, but yeah, four beers in 0.06. Can't complain. Can't complain guys. See. So this was an amazing episode. We just wrapped up the side effects of alcohol. What the, what the effects are the blood alcohol levels starting from 0.03 to 0.025 going from euphoria to straight freaking coma. We talked about that. We talked about how every single individual organ gets affected when it comes to the brain, the liver, the heart, the pancreas, how alcohol is honestly a nasty ass damn drug. And, you know, me and Peter got drunk on the show just for the sake of science. We don't really recommend drinking alcohol all the time on a daily basis have a cold beer if you have to after work but moderation is key because this thing is nasty any any ending thoughts there pd any thoughts if you drink alone you can be considered an alcoholic if you drink with friends that's a party so have a going guys so we'll see you guys next week peace